I'm having a great time with the research. We got to work on new problems. Not a lot of people are holding you to deadlines like they used to, so that's been really hard for me. It was an adjustment to become a student again, but I have a feeling that the most challenging parts are yet to come. I've realized that I've learned a lot and grown a lot as a graduate student. You're listening to Vitamin PhD, a podcast from Boston University delivering career narratives and skills know-how to supplement your doctoral studies. Hi everyone, I'm Sasha Goldman, Program Manager for PhD Professional Development in the Grad Affairs Office at BU, and I'm hosting today's episode of Vitamin PhD, a graduate education conversation with Katina Rogers. I got to know Katina's work through my research into graduate education in the humanities. Katina is the co-director of the Futures Initiative, which is a collaborative community within the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. The mission of the Futures Initiative is to empower the next generation of intellectual leaders with bold, public, and engaged teaching and learning. And they also work to develop greater understanding about the complexities of the higher education landscape. Katina's scholarly research aligns really closely with these objectives, and today I wanted to talk to her both about her work with the Futures Initiative, but more importantly about her new book called Putting the Humanities PhD to Work, Thriving in and Beyond the Classroom. Her book is coming out with Duke University Press in July of this year, and I thought that a conversation about it would be a really awesome way to let current PhDs know um, what the current research is about how humanities doctoral students um, can think about their career planning and their futures. So thanks so much for joining me for this conversation, Katina. So my first question is, for listeners who aren't familiar with the Futures Initiative, can you give us a little bit of background as to what the organization does and your role as deputy director there? Sure. Um, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation and I'm happy to have a chance to talk about the Futures Initiative um, and about my work there. Um, we describe the Futures Initiative as kind of an incubator or um, like a think and do tank where we get to try new ideas for possible models within higher education um, and see what works. And we have um, quite a lot of flexibility and freedom to explore new possibilities and to really see, you know, what are the innovative ways that we can think about higher ed at every level from community college level to senior colleges to graduate education to faculty. Um, how can we think about those spaces differently to create uh, greater equity? Um, how can we think better about who is being served by the system and how we can really reinvest in higher education as a public good? Um, we run a number of different programs that um, I think the thing that they all have in common is some element of um, like peer mentorship and student-centered learning or um, uh, in the cases of faculty, things that are really participant-driven. Um, that's a, a really strong emphasis of all that we do, finding ways to um, empower the people with whom we're working to step into leadership in new ways and to um, find their footing um, in classroom spaces, in their own professional lives, um, and in terms of what they're bringing to the community. And I think that's really wonderful, and it definitely comes through in your book. You're very, um, you're very explicit about your own subject position, but also that you're trying to use that privilege in elevating other voices. You know, you argue in the book in in the second chapter, which 
about um, diversity and inclusion that career preparation and an embrace of this broader array of pathways can be a subversive way of working against the values and measures of success that exist within academia that are often you know, misaligned with the realities of life and class and race and gender. Um, so I guess I wonder what career preparation advice you might give to current PhD students who are interested in transitioning into higher ed administration, research and policy in the same kind of area and space that you're in, um, what you might say to them? I mean, it's complicated because I think that there are so many things that um, need to change structurally in order to really support students to fully explore some of those options. And I think, you know, what you were touching on in leading up to the question around the, the prestige economy that really animates higher education, it's really pervasive. And so I think that that tacit value system that sort of quietly or sometimes explicitly pushes people in one direction or another, that's the area where cultural change is needed. Um, and the primary goal for any individual student should still be for them to you know, get through and finish their degree. It shouldn't be on their shoulders to change everything. And so getting back to your question, there are things that I think individual students can do to prepare themselves well for different types of careers. Things like you know, project management, I think, is an easy one to talk about, like being able to think about the dissertation as a long form project with many components that needs to be broken down into more discrete tasks and timelines so that you can meet your goals and accomplish it. Um, I think that's something that is, it's actually like a very complex task. And it's something that in most other administrative positions, you would be doing all the time. And so I think that's where the element of like, reflection and metacognition really comes into play, thinking about um, you know, what are the things that I'm doing? Everything sort of gets lumped into buckets of teaching or research and service. Um, grad students, I think, have less of the service component. Um, and uh, I think in part because that's considered less valuable in the prestige hierarchy. Um, but it's often things that do fall within that service bucket that are really useful in other career spaces. Anything that grad students can do to see behind the curtain a little bit, um, I think is really, really advantageous for faculty careers or administrative careers or careers in other spaces. Um, and I guess along with that, I think it's really important. One thing that's been really valuable with the Futures Initiative is that we I think one thing that we provide to the grad students who work with us as fellows is a non-competitive space for them to process what's happening within their, their academic programs. They're all from different fields. And so, you know, none of them are competing for resources in the way that people within a single cohort might be, whether that those resources are faculty attention or travel funding or awards or whatever. Um, and I think that that non-competitive space um, has been really important for them to be able to reflect on the challenges that they're encountering, which of those challenges are, you know, individual, which of those are structural and systemic, um, and how all that fits into, you know, their own goals, both as students and looking ahead to their future more broadly. So finding those informal spaces, if it's possible, I think can be really valuable. I couldn't agree more that really thinking about everything that you do during your doctoral career as skill building and figuring out how um, how and what you find 
enriching and exciting about it? What is it about research that you enjoy, right? What is it about teaching that you enjoy so that you can think creatively about what future careers might allow you to employ those same kinds of skills and do those same kinds of exercises, mm -hmm. um, I think is really important. And I, I really like this idea of this, you know, of purpose-built spaces for that kind of conversation that allows you to really think through that. One of the other questions I had that kind of I think relates and um, is in the, the third chapter of your book about, you talk about remixing the dissertation. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a conversation that I have had with a lot of friends and colleagues, especially recently, because I myself wrote a semi-monographic dissertation. Um, I think it's natural to then question the value and the future of that kind of project because it looks a certain way and it may not um, align with what your future career goals are. Um, and some of the examples you cite require skills that are definitely outside of the scope of the typical humanities PhD curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. um, and developing these skills as a PhD student um, certainly is, makes an individual a more diverse and innovative kind of researcher themselves. I guess another question would be, um, how should people go about trying to create a more inclusive atmosphere for their scholarship that may not um, be in one of the healthy disciplines the way that you describe them or mm -hmm. um, in a department that may be currently still resistant to change or at the beginning of that? What mm -hmm. would you, what kind of advice would you give someone like that? Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I think self-protection is <laughs> an important exercise. I think that um, grad students are often in a, a pretty vulnerable position. And so being aware of um, like where those norms current are currently situated and what battles you want to fight is, I think, um, an important step to take in before people get too far along with one particular project. Um, I think that you know, at the types of skills that um, some of these more creative projects do involve, I think it's really important that those skills be driven by the intellectual goals of the project and the goals of the, of the scholar. Um, I, what I've seen is that in, in programs where um, there's sort of a traditional looking doctoral program and then towards the end when people are starting to think about career pathways, suddenly people start urging them to learn to code or they start you know, pushing them into different like skill building workshops or here's how to like turn your CV into a resume. Students feel like the rug has been pulled out from under them. And I think it, it has in many ways because the students who are recruited to and admitted into graduate programs are admitted because they often because they show promise in a very particular vein of academic success or potential academic success. Um, the you know, the ways in which their scholarship is shaped um, through, you know, graduate seminars and the, the types of papers that are expected in those seminars is often quite traditional. Um, I think trying to learn a skill for the sake of the skill is not a very productive exercise because the specific, um, the specific skills that are needed for any given job are often very contextual to that job and they're often learned on the job. Um, what I think is much more valuable is being able to um, like having kind of a broader sense of judgment about like what is a useful way to proceed with something and when you have a sense of what that is being able to find the tools that you need in order to learn and self-teach 
that is useful in absolutely any context, both from, you know, from grad school through any type of career. I find like that ability to sort of identify and self-teach and navigate um, is, is really important. So I think that's also connected with the question of judgment and which battles to fight, because I think as students are considering what their project might look like, um, I think it's valuable to, to remember that the dissertation is not the only scholarly project that um, a person will do. I really appreciate how you, how you describe that, because I do think that we're often pushed to develop skills because they fall under a flashy subsection of what the future of education might look like. But, um, you know, putting digital humanities in some form or another on your CV may or not may or may not be beneficial to your career going forward. So, um, you know, I think being very strategic about also what your future will look like and how that is a skill in itself. Mm -hmm. Had there been a book like this before I started graduate school and I had gotten to read it, I would have felt so much more knowledgeable about the state of the field, but also just what was available to me. You know, I guess I wonder really what you see as the potential for this book and who the the audience, I mean, it's clear that you are writing for administrators and advisors and, and graduate students, obviously, you know, there's a chapter just about practical uh, suggestions, but what you see the potential of this conversation being and where you hope that it goes and and what it will drive? Thank you. That's a really good question. Um, Yeah, I mean, I also would have loved a book like this when I was a grad student. I feel like there was, there were so many things that I just didn't know and honestly, like, didn't know until long after I had finished my PhD. Um, And that's not really the way that I think it should be. Um, What I hope the book can do is start bringing different elements of conversations about graduate education reform into conversation with one another. I think one of the reasons that I decided to write the book was that I've been hearing many conversations about career pathways and, and skill building and graduate education reform that ring a little bit hollow because they don't always address some of the deeper structural issues um, that are affecting higher education today. Um, The most significant of which is the increasing reliance on adjunct labor and the exploitation of many of those positions. I think that if universities and administrators can find ways to prioritize within budgets, deeper commitment to an investment in those who are doing the hard work of teaching and mentorship, I think that that goes hand in hand with better preparing people for all different types of career pathways. Um, I think that it's also essential to talk about questions of equity and inclusion and bias um, in higher ed. Um, I don't know, somehow there's a sense that like humanities departments, because we have, um, because humanities is, you know, includes fields like ethnic studies and women's and gender studies that somehow we are exempt from bias and it's like so it's clearly not the case i mean every um every new study that comes out about teaching evaluations shows how pervasive gender bias is we hear time and time again about tenure denials of faculty of color 
um, at so many institutions around the country, especially at elite institutions. It's pervasive and it's damaging. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, talking about these three things in the same breath um, is the only way to make that career conversation meaningful. Um, otherwise, it just sounds like a Band-Aid that's been placed on top of a really broken system. So um, I'm, I'm really invested in finding ways to talk about deep structural reform while also supporting individual pathways. And I hope that this book is a step towards that. I do think that the way that you have interwoven the argument connecting equity and inclusion with innovative scholarship is a really, it's a really brilliant and creative way to think about the problem at the core, which is that program, you say this, I mean, programs don't equal success, right? The creation of things does not necessarily lead to change. I do want to say, um, Thank you so much for being on the show and um, for really giving your time, not only to this really important work, but also to graduate students who need strong mentors like you who are thinking about these bigger problems. Um, and I, I really hope to see where this conversation goes and that it, I have a lot of confidence that it will start other conversations and hopefully productive change. Well, I really thank, do. Thank you. It's, it's really been a pleasure. And I, I love getting a chance to talk about some of the things I've been thinking through. Um, so thanks for the opportunity. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Vitamin PhD, a graduate education conversation with Katina Rogers. To get the latest episodes of Vitamin PhD, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can also connect with us on Twitter at PhD. Learn more about our team and send us your feedback by visiting our website, bu.edu slash vitaminphd. See you next time.